You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome to Dancing Man, a fabulous invalid podcast featuring exclusive behind-the-scenes interviews with the cast and creative team of Bob Fosse's Dancing on Broadway. I'm Rob Russo. I'm Jamie Dumont. And we're your hosts. We're also excited to be co-producers of Dancing on Broadway and thrilled to be back in the Roseville Cocktail Room at Civilian for another conversation with a member of the cast. Yes, and joining us this week is cast member Peter John Cherson. Dancing since the age of five, Dancing marks his fifth Broadway show, following Wicked, West Side Story, On the Town, and King Kong. He's also danced with Complexion's Contemporary Ballet and Twyla Tharp Dance. And of course, he's a standout in dancing as the man at the center of the big city mime ballet in Act One. Well, let's talk to him. I want to get into that right away. Oh, there's lots to discuss. Let's do it. Peter, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And it's a beautiful spring, summer, 90 degree day. So <laughs> yes, we skipped spring, went right to summer. Yeah. Great. Classic New York, right? Or is it climate change? Who can say? Exactly. I, yeah, I think it's probably, well, at any rate, this is not a climate change podcast, but it could yet, yet. This is a podcast about dancing, yeah. which is now in full swing at the Music Box Theater. You have a couple of weeks under your belt. Oh, yeah. So it begs the question, how are you feeling today? You know, I'm feeling good. It's it's day by day. I really am trying to take that kind of mantra of just the show is the show that's in front of me. I can't think too far ahead. Um, I'm certainly tired. Uh, <laughs> that goes without question with this show, but I'm feeling good. Have you settled into a routine or is it just is it still just getting day to day? one show at a time. I would say my show routine is pretty set. I get there about an hour and a half before, give myself a good 15 minutes just to like be there, decompress, get the the travel through the city kind of out of my system. Mm. But yeah, my warm up, uh, I try to do PT as much as I can just to keep myself warm and ready to go and all the bones aligned. And but yeah, that is pretty set. I have my my warm up, my bar, and I really warm up until we are at places. Do you warm up on stage or in your dressing room or where you warm up? Uh, I, I do a little bit of both. Uh, you know, I share a dressing room with Tony. So we kind of, you know, work with each other depending on what our needs are. Uh, but most of the time there is a kind of area just off stage left that allows me to do a, a full ballet bar. And so that's where I spend most of my time. I could only imagine sharing a dressing room with Tony is lively. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I couldn't be more happier with my dressing roommate, for sure. That's great. Uh, looking at your bio, dancing is not your first foray into the world of Fosse because you were on the TV show, Fosse Burton. Yes, yes, I was. Uh, and in, on that show, you played Christopher Chadman, who I was did. a real person. For those mm-hmm. who don't know, he was uh, the original Lewis and Pippin and mm-hmm. Fred Casely in Chicago and, you know, a longtime assistant of Bob's. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he was the assistant choreographer of Big Deal. Yeah. Don't quote me on that, but yeah. Um, so before stepping into that project, what was your familiarity with like the world of Bob Fosse? And, you know, was that a, did you have to learn a lot to, you know, sort of brush up or was it something you were really well versed in? You know, I was really lucky. I got introduced to Fosse by my dance teacher, Shelly Pack Manning, mm. out in the San Francisco Bay Area. The first time she introduced him to me, it just, it fit like a glove. I mean, yeah. it really was kind of an epiphany of, oh my God, this is... I need to do this more. But, you know, there wasn't really a lot of access to his work or his style uh, other than just kind of what's passed along. And I got really lucky. I want to say about in 2012, I met 
Nicole Fossey, who was doing a remount of Beat Me Daddy from Big Deal. It was for a really great organization to be prepared for, you know, a city center showcase kind of thing. And that was my first real introduction to Bob Fosse and the movement and that show, Big Deal, Beat Me Daddy. And I... I fell in love. Um, <laughs> it was a tremendous experience with, um, you know, Catherine Doby, um, Lloyd Colbreth, people that have really worked, Valerie Pettiford, that have really worked with Fosse. And I had the opportunity to learn from them for two weeks, 10 to six, working on Beat Me Daddy and, and to really kind of dig into the style in a way that I don't know many people are given that opportunity. And so that for me was my first foray into... Yeah the Fosse movement and really understanding that same feeling of like, no, I need to do more of this. And so I've been lucky to start with that. And then Fosse Verdon came up and I got to work on that with Nicole. And it just was a, a, an incredible experience. So I feel like I've kind of had these, you know, journeys, these steps along the way to get to dance in that really, it feels it feels kismet almost. Well, speaking of steps along the way, uh, you've been dancing since you were a child. Yes. Very young. Yes. What, what made you start dancing? Uh, you know, an advertisement in the Yellow Pages. My parents both worked full time and they needed to keep me busy. They needed something for me to do during the summer while they worked. And uh, I, my mom really tapped into the sense that I was a very artistic child and thought, OK, well, you know, maybe I'll put him in tap dance, boys tap. Nobody could have expected the way that it took off. I mean, I really, really fell in love with it pretty immediately. And that kind of from there, it was let's add jazz to the mix and uh, musical theater. And it just kind of evolved and it just became all encompassing. Yeah, yeah. And so then you came to New York for college, right? Came to New York for NYU, went to the uh, Tisch School of Dance there. Mm -hmm. And I had a really great experience. You know, I, I was really lucky. I went to performing arts high school in mm -hmm. San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And it was a really great program. I got really lucky in that, in that respect. And so when I got to NYU, as great as the program was, it felt to me, a little bit of more of the same. Right. Um, I kind of thought, I've done this before. I've kind of done this very similar approach to dance and to movement and just the art in general. And I was ready to work professionally. I just was. And it was calling me and it was calling me. And I was kind of lost. I didn't love New York initially. You know, we showed up in August and winter came very quickly. And I remember <laughs> that first snowstorm calling my mom going, what was I thinking? This is awful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and so I really struggled for a little bit, but I got lucky in the sense that I I listened to myself a little bit in that moment. I mm -hmm. thought, OK, I'm going to start taking class outside of Tish. Um, I'm going to start maybe looking at the equity auditions and seeing what that's about and and just starting to get feedback at that age. You know, I was 18. I still had braces, horrible hair, horrible skin. I just was in the throes of puberty. It was it was a rough time. And so but it was a really incredible learning opportunity to go to these auditions and just be in the room. And I decided at the end of that year, I had a, a really amazing um, audition experience in which I auditioned for Madonna, of all people. And I made it to, I think, like the last six or eight guys or something wow. like that. And I got to meet her. And it was this really incredible experience. And um, the casting director called me. And I can, I'll never forget, I was in my dorm at NYU. And she called and just was really positive about, hey, you didn't get the job, but don't give up and keep going. And I, I sat on that for a little bit and I called my mom and I said, mom, it's 
it's not working out here. I need to pursue this and I need to, I think, go to LA and give it a try and see what it is. And that's what I did. Takes a lot of guts, especially at that age, yes. right? Especially after like, you know, you get, you're on a track, you get to college and then you realize, well, this isn't exactly the experience I was looking for. The yeah. one that's nurturing my artistic needs to Absolutely. say, you know, you know what? No, I'm going to try something different. That's, that's very brave. Yeah. You know, it's brave. I also think it's just a little bit of being 18, you know, the whole <laughs> world in front of you and you just do it, you know, right, you don't really yeah. think about it. You don't have all the years of, you know, just life. And, um, I am somewhat grateful for that, that it just was kind of like, no, this is what I need to do. So I'm going to do it. There was, yeah. there was really no other alternative. Or was it the call of the California sun? <laughs> you know, there's always that too. There's always that. But I'm from San Francisco. So I was there's, like, yeah. I love the fog, you know, all of that. Yeah. I was going to LA. I didn't, they're like two different worlds. The call of the fog. The call of the fog. As a fellow Californian, I can, I can, I can, I agree <laughs> that first winter in New York is it's, rough. It's yes. It really yeah, is. Yeah. But I'm curious when you were going through this and you decided to move back to California in this process of being in New York, was there ever a moment where you thought this isn't the right fit? Dancing, dancing. See, I can't dancing say not, I can't say dancing. Did you ever think dancing wasn't right for you? Did you ever question that career path or was it just more wrong location? Um, no, I, I, I don't. I, I didn't question whether or not I needed to be dancing. I, I think it wasn't so much, you know, I, I shouldn't be dancing. It was, what should it be? Am I going to Broadway? Is that something I really want to do? Uh, the feedback that I got at that time, you know, I remember uh, auditioning for Moving Out and the uh, associate pulled me aside and said, you're great. You just need to come back in like five years because mm. you look like a baby. And it was true. Like I said, you know, braces, it was, it was all still there. And yeah. I am definitely a product of like the TRL generation, you know, coming home in middle school and wanting to see who the top 10 artists were. And, and for me, it wasn't even about the artists. It was about the, the dancers. Yeah. Um, that time was such an amazing time in music history for me in, in watching incredible choreography on TV and racing home to get to see, you know, Justin and Janet and Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. And it, it, it was getting to see those dancers and thinking, oh, I want to do that. Yeah. Um, and so at, you know, after this audition for Madonna, that was kind of my thought was I'll go out to LA and I'll be a backup dancer. And that is, you know, a dream that I would love to do. And of course, shortly after I moved to LA, I think within probably like three or four months, I ended up book booking the uh, Wicked tour. So before we get to Wicked, I yes. just have a quick question for you, which is you've mentioned tap, you've mentioned jazz, mm -hmm. you've mentioned the TRL generation and yes. Madonna. Um, if anyone has seen dancing or knows your career, mm -hmm. there's some ballet in there too. So where did the ballet training fit in? Cause you know, you're clearly very trained. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's so funny is I've been really lucky to have, um, good mentors along the way, especially in those formative years. I didn't start taking ballet until I was about 10 years old. You know, if I'm being honest, when I first started dancing, you know, I had the full support of my mom, but not so much of my father. He really struggled with having, you know, I'm, I'm his first son. Um, and he thought, baseball and football and sports and roughhousing. And I just, I wasn't quite that kid. Um, and so when dance came into the mix, he really didn't know what to do with that. And he really, really struggled. And so ballet wasn't allowed. It was kind of like, I'm letting you do tap. Okay. Now I'm letting you do jazz, but that's as far as we can push it. It was kind of a really difficult period. You know, my mom really, to, to my mom's credit, really fought him on it and said, no, it's very clear that he loves what he does and this is going to stay. And there's not anything that you're going to do to stop that. And 
to my dad's credit, you know, he continued to work. Like I said, I, I come from a very kind of blue collar family and he continued to work overtime to make sure that those dance classes were paid for, even though he really struggled with allowing me to do so. Um, but there kind of came a pivotal moment where he came and saw me in the show in a recital. And that night, I guess my parents were getting ready for bed and he just kind of paused and said, damn, he's good. He's good. And I think for my father, that was the turning point of accepting that this was not only something I loved to do, but that this was something that I had some kind of future with. What that was, completely unbeknownst to all of us. Um, but he thought this was something he enjoys, so I'm going to get out of the way. And, and I think that it's a real, for me, it's a real testament to, you know, we're all able to change mm -hmm. and to kind of opening our perspective and our, our mindset. And so I give my father um, a lot of dues for that. And if you talk to him today, he's my biggest fan. So ballet came a little bit later and I'm a competition kid. And so I grew up competing and, and it was really all about being able to be eclectic in my style, but having really, really strong technique. Also going to the performing arts high school, I had access to really great ballet teachers um, who were associated with Lines Ballet in San Francisco. I got really lucky with that. Um, but yeah, so my ballet training has kind of been filtered in throughout my formative years, but I really started focusing on it once I moved to New York. I want to say around 20 years old, just really that was what I what I did. And um, ballet's kind of become, ballet class has become kind of my church. It's where I go and I kind of just need to center myself and have an hour and a half to just focus on something outside of life. You know, it just kind of brings me back to center and I love it. It sounds like meditation <laughs> or yoga for you. Completely, yeah, completely. Yeah. Yes. And I feel it when I haven't had it in my, my life for a little bit, I kind of go, Oh, I'm getting a little, you know, frenzied or my, my energy is a little hectic. I don't know what's going on. And I, can usually go, oh, I haven't taken class in a while. I need to, I need to do that. So I, I really do try to keep it a part of my um, weekly regimen for sure. What was the first professional gig that your parents saw you in? It would probably be Wicked. No? Wicked was my first professional gig that I would call professional. You know, I danced for a, a hip hop company when I was in high school. Um, <laughs> and so we did small gigs for like E-Trade and stuff like that. Uh, so that would have been one of the um, real first professional gigs, but in terms of what I consider, I would say, I would say wicked. Yeah. And it was mind blowing for them. And that was a big deal. The first national tour of wicked. Yeah. I mean, at the time, and I mean, even looking backwards, it's like, wow, you know, yeah. that was a, that was a big moment. Um, was Wayne involved in setting that tour or was it? Yes. Associates? Uh, Wayne was, a, was absolutely there. He, um, I, I auditioned in Los Angeles and he was at that audition with Corinne McFadden Herrera and, you know, they really gave me my first big opportunity. So it definitely full circle to be back in the room with both of them. You know, Corinne has become a dear friend as, a, as has Wayne. And so, yeah, it's been, it, Kind of mind blowing. Well, you mentioned West Side Story a, a moment ago, and you've had the opportunity to do two shows on Broadway that have the Jerome Robbins influence, both mm -hmm. West Side Story and On the Town, even though that last revival was not strictly yeah. his choreography. It's his DNA is all over that piece, yes, right? Yes. Um, and then I believe you did Jerome Robbins Broadway at the Muni. Yes, that's right? correct. So you've dug deep into the world of Jerome Robbins yeah. in terms of you know dancing it, but now you're also doing Fosse. Mm -hmm. um, and if you had, you've had several Fosse experiences, and now dancing's like the ultimate Fosse absolutely, experience. Absolutely. How do the two compare? Oh, that's so interesting. You know, I think what's so great about both of their their styles, so to speak, yeah. um, and their works is that it really 
is story-based. Mm. You know, I find um, one of the things I love about dance and that I think Jerome Robbins and, and Bob Fosse do so well is that it really counts on the dancer as an actor. And, you know, it's not just movement for the sake of movement. It's actually, there's a reason behind it. There's a story behind it. And it really allows you to um, explore that and kind of go deep into a, a, another world. And so for that, I think that is definitely a great similarity between the two. And both of them just being really incredible creators of movement. I really got to do, I got to work with Warren Carlyle um, on kind of a workshop of a show that they had wanted to do that showcased Jerome Robbins, um, not only his uh, onstage musical theater work, but also his ballet work right. and kind of to, you know, meld the two worlds to show his range. And that was a real even deeper dive after Jerome Robbins Broadway and having, you know, West Side Story. And it was that, that same thing of just, it was such a visceral feeling to dance these works that are so iconic and so brilliant. You know, when you're actually getting to perform brilliance, um, it makes your job that much easier. Yeah, well, there's no doubt that the two of them were two of the greatest Absolutely. artists of the 20th century, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, I imagine it's very satisfying as an artist to be able to like dig into the work yes. in that way. Well, yeah, I'm like jealous I didn't get to meet them. You right? know what I mean? I like, uh, I wish, in a way, I you know wish. them better than, you know, Absolutely. most people could. Yeah, totally, totally. They're... You know, their, yeah. their vocabulary, their, their legacy, yeah. and the, the physicality of it all. I am curious for a second on Jerome Robbins. I know we're not, I know this isn't about him, but I'm curious since you've, you've done so much of his work, what, what did you find the most challenging of his pieces to dance? Oh, that's a really great question. Um, you know, I think that there, his, his ballet work in general is really it's probably the most challenging. Uh, there's a piece, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name of this piece, <laughs> where um, it's kind of a competition amongst dancers. And there's a moment where, you know, a, a, male, a man steps forward and he does a, a double tour. And then somebody else steps forward and he does two double tours. And then somebody else steps forward and does three. And then, of course, I was the guy that had to step forward and do four. And I'm like, wait a second, double tours are not my thing and you're asking me to do four? Um, so it's moments like that where it just, it really calls upon the technique. It's so funny when the work is good, even though it is challenging, it still feels good. Well, I was just going to ask, how do you get out of your head? Because I would imagine you have that every night in dancing. I would imagine there's moments where as a dancer, you are challenged. And how do you, how do you, Peter, get out of your head and free yourself up? That's a really great question. You know, I'm kind of the ballet track in the show and it kind of the first way that you meet me too is kind of through this kind of ballet technique. Yeah. And it's really hard for me because like I said, I'm not really from the ballet world. I, I I love it and I kind of threw myself into it, but I didn't go to the SAB summer schools or the school or, you know, AB2, none of, I, I didn't do any of that. And so there's a real sense of imposter syndrome that kind of kicks in at times. And especially when that's kind of my first introduction to the audience. And I really, when we did our out of town in San Diego, I really struggled with it. Um, I had gotten a note uh, about a, a specific movement and it really got into my head to where I was kind of messing it up every night just because that's all I could think about was don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And of course, the more you tell yourself not to do something, that's exactly what you're going to do. And so during the break, I really had to take a step back to say, okay, this is kind of sucking the fun out of it. It's making it so stressful. It's not worth it. You know, it's, it's not worth, this is an incredible experience and I would hate for it to go by and not 
be able to enjoy it because of this one move, this one move out of thousands of moves I'm going to do in this show, this one move. And I decided to work on it really hard in ballet and to really focus on it. And then also to just give it up to the universe. You know, when you're doing a show eight times a week, 52 weeks a year, the margin of error is quite big. (laughs) You know, you're going to have bad nights. And so I really tried to focus on, like I was saying earlier, just each show being its own thing. And if it goes great, wonderful. If it doesn't, let it go. And that's where I think also being a father has also helped. Right before I go on stage, I always try to think of a moment with my daughter that brought me joy because that's what matters. You know, whether or not I hop a turn isn't going to change anything about the rest of my life, you know, and I can beat myself up on it and lose sleep over it, which I was doing, or I can just accept that sometimes it's going to go well and sometimes it's not. And All I can do is just focus on the technique, focus on what I've learned and know that I'm completely capable of doing it. And that's that's kind of been the way that I try to approach it. You know, some days are easier than others. There are times when it happens and I'm like, oh, it didn't go well. And I'm sitting there, you know, my back to the audience going like, it's okay, let it go, let it go, let it go. And not allowing that to paint the entire evening. Well, if there's one thing I've learned, it's that dancers are perfectionists. Yes. Right? And as much as everyone, you know, wants to be cool about it, like, you know, you're a perfectionist. And for a reason, right? Because it's... It's a discipline. It's yep. uh, you know, there's there's technique. It's it's an art, right? Um, but I was just about to say, it's funny, you know, uh, that I imagine age and experience mm-hmm. certainly play into this, and then perspective, which is yeah. what you just mentioned with with your daughter. You know, like being able to have a larger perspective helps you understand. Yeah, it's not all about one moment. It's it's the totality of it all, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, you have to keep moving. <laughs> yeah, and finding the joy and being able to find, you know, even in the the stress of it all, even in even if it doesn't go well, not only finding the joy in the moment, but finding like, okay, this is a moment to learn what didn't work and what didn't work there. You know, when I was kind of figuring out, uh, I, you know, I do my pirouettes first, and I noticed. N- Nando was walking into position and I said to Nando, you know, when you go out there, it's the first time you see all the lights and you're adjusting and it's dark. I was like, there any way you could step into your position just a hair faster so you're there? And he was like, absolutely. So now every night I spot Nando. And Mm. it's great because I feel like we get to connect in that moment, finding those little things that make it just a really grand experience. Yeah. Yeah. We talked to Carly about the the very first breath she takes, mm-hmm. right? And like how as an audience member, you just take that in. But from her perspective, it's so timed and synced with the music and the movement and there's so much going on. So like, that's a perfect example you just described of like using Nando to spot. Like yeah. that's something we would never think about, but like it's so small little things that can make a huge difference. Absolutely. In terms of setting you up for success and, you know, starting the show off in, yes. a, in a way that makes you feel like, okay, we're here, <laughs> we're going to crush it tonight. We're going to do yeah. it. Here we yeah. go. Yeah. I've, I've learned three things from from chatting with everyone in the <laughs> just company. three, just, just three, three. <laughs> only and, three, and those three things are: Tish is a big school for <laughs> yeah. dancers. Yeah. The people we thought were classically trained <laughs> ballet dancers were not, <laughs> and the communication between the company members mm. is exquisite and yeah. extraordinary. Yes, you, you, everyone's communication and trust, and all of those things that come from communication, mm-hmm. are are unlike any company I've ever spoken to or 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 known. It's really it's really powerful and it's really special. I, I agree 100%. I, I've not had an experience with a cast 
that is so open and so loving and generous and inspiring. I mean, I could gush about them all day. Each <laughs> each person not only is so unique on stage and what they bring, but what they bring off stage has taught me quite a lot, honestly. And, and, and some of it is is what I just described in trying to let those you know moments of you know imperfection go and to just enjoy what's happening. There was. You know, I was getting ready to go on for the last section of Sing 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 one time and we were all exhausted. It was probably the eighth show of the week. And I looked at Maddie Love and she said, I love life. Don't you love life? And I thought, you're right. I love life too. Yeah, let's do this, you know? And and there were have been a few times where in the, the thick of it, just the craziness of Sing 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 and those sugars and being exhausted and just yelling on stage, I love life and the power that that gives. Everybody really does give of themselves 100% and has offered, at least for me on a personal level, a level of inspiration that I'm so, so grateful for. And and literally to each and every person in the company, it, it's, I, I, like I said, I've not experienced this before and I'm so thrilled to go to work every day and I'm so thrilled to get to be on stage with them and to witness their work and to have the banter and the connection and all of it has just been magical. I also didn't mean to diminish anyone's ballet ability. Oh, I, no. meant the, I meant the opposite. No, I meant, I meant the opposite. I meant that like it, it's so impressive. We've it's spoken so to a few yeah. of you who, who we thought had been dancing ballet from zero. Yeah. And it turns out it came later in your yeah, career, yeah, which is just yeah. astonishing to both Rob yeah, and I. Well, and I think the reason that this experience is so unique is because it's a unique experience, right? Yes. Like yeah. the show is, it hasn't been a show like this in a very long time. Mm-hmm. And to be in a, in a company, of principals, principal dancers, yeah. 16 of you and really 22 of you, but 16 on any given night, you know, it's a very unique thing. And it means so much to all of you. That's very clear yes. from us, you know, from, from sitting on this side of the table, it's, it's very clear how special this, uh, this experience is to yeah. all of you. How did you get cast in the show? What was that experience? What was that, that story like that process? Like, um, you know, I got a call from my agent letting me know that I needed to fly to New York for an audition. I was living in LA at the time. I found myself out there during the pandemic quite unexpectedly. We ended up staying for, you know, two and a half years, but the plan was never to move out there. Um, so I flew to New York. It was my first audition post pandemic, so to speak. It was, you know, everybody, I, I, it literally felt like I was seeing everybody I had seen throughout my career. Yeah, Yeah, you know, (laughs) and we were just kind of all in the same boat. I remember Corinne had crafted, Corinne and Wayne had crafted a really um, unique piece that was kind of a a, a hodgepodge of a bunch of different pieces of Bob's. It was really hard. I remember it being (laughs) really, as somebody who has some understanding of the Fosse world at this point and movement, I thought, oh, wow, this is challenging me in a way I didn't expect. And uh, really made me kind of pull up a little bit and a, a little bit more than I was expecting to. I just remember feeling how hungry everybody was in, in the room for this job. Uh, and I personally had been hearing talks of, you know, dancing's coming back, dancing's coming back for many years. And this this show was really the only show that been on my radar as far as like, if there is a show that I want to do, it's dancing. And so it, the stakes felt that high, but it didn't just feel that high for me. It felt collectively like everybody was in there to just really give it their all. Here was a chance to be in person again, to mm-hmm. dance again. And it really felt so special. And then I 
got a call back. I happened to be in Houston and I had to fly back for the final call back. And it was one of those like, you need to be here in three days. And um, I had asked the company for the job that I was working at in Houston if I could get a, a day off. And they were like, well, we're just not gonna schedule you, but don't say anything. I said, okay, um, I won't. <laughs> and you know, flew out at like you know the first flight, five yeah. in the morning, oh that gosh. thing, got on a train uh, from Newark airport to get to the audition. And then the train broke down <gasps> in the tunnel going into Penn Station. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss it. I'm texting my agent. I'm going, it's just not going to happen. I'm, I'm late. I run there and I'm thinking it's over. I, I'm, I was probably, I got there maybe about 20 minutes late. I thought this is it. I've ruined, I've ruined my chance. And the entire creative team was there and they were so wonderful. And they just said, it's fine. Give yourself 20 minutes, take a breath, get dressed, stretch, do what you have to do. And um, I sang and I got to dance again. And I, on the way back to the airport that afternoon, I got a phone call saying, congratulations, you have uh, booked dancing and you're going to be a principal <laughs> on Broadway. And it just was in, you know, the new JFK terminal or, or LaGuardia ter terminal going, oh my God, oh my God, this has happened. You know, it, it just, it, it still pinch me moment. Yeah. You know, it's really a dream come true. And you mentioned this before we started recording, but, and you've hinted at it just now, you moved back to New York for the show with yes. your wife and daughter, right? Yes. So that's, I imagine it's a big life change for everybody in, yeah. in your it, household. Yeah, it's been a huge life change. Yeah. My wife and I really talked about it and we thought really, this is an opportunity we can't pass up. Right. Um, she herself is a dancer and um, has kind of moved on to the other side of the table. And so she really understood the weight of this moment. And there was no question of, you know, well, no, it was like, okay, we have to do this and we're going to make it, make it happen. And I think it was also an opportunity for us to show, you know, our daughter that, you know, she's only two and a half. So how much of this she really understands, but you have to go for the things you want in life, you know, and it's going to come with sacrifice and, and, and it's going to be hard and it's, but it's going to be worth it. And if we have each other, then let's, then we can fly. There's no stopping us. So yeah. let's go. So one thing that's really cool about the show that we've talked to everybody about is how every member in the company gets a moment or moments where mm -hmm. they shine pop. You probably have the most extended uh, solo moment <laughs> of anyone in the whole company because you're at the centerpiece of Big City Mime yeah. uh, as Cyril. I'm wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about, A, the development of that piece and what it was like if you were involved in it, and then what it's like to perform that piece. You know, For those who haven't seen the show, it's like a, what, 30-minute, maybe even yeah, longer? Yeah, I want to say, like, say it's about 25. 25, okay. Yeah, about 25 minutes, yeah. Ba ballet, you know, in, yeah. in the towards the end of Act One. Um, that's just like an explosion of of style and dance and color and light and costume changes. And I mean, it's everything. You know, it was really exciting when they told me that I was going to be Cyril. I, I had done some sides through the audition. Um, I didn't really know what that meant. And, you know, Big City Mime was originally part of dancing, but got kind of taken out for just being a little from what I understand, raunchy or crass and, and, and just not right for that moment in time. And so I was really excited that Wayne decided to take it on and kind of reimagine it and, and, and bring it into dancing as an idea that Fosse had that never really got to see through to fruition. And so it was really nerve wracking. It was a real 
test of now we're going to put you into a role that's going to require a lot of acting. You know, it's very easy as a dancer sometimes just kind of rely on this is what I do. I'm comfortable in it. I'm confident in it. And I know what what that is. But now I'm going to ask you to kind of create a 25 minute story, a through line and from start to finish, beginning, middle and end. And what I was so grateful for is that he really allowed me to explore. You know, he kind of gave me a little bit of a setup. You're coming into the city. Is it your first time? Is it not? I don't know. You know, you decide, but you're here and you want to have a good time and go. And it just has been such a fun journey to piece it together, you know, to learn all the different movements, to learn the the library Pippin scene with right. Dailise, um, to have that scene with her and then to get to do that choreography. Um, it, it still gives me chills when we do the first, you know, hip bumps at the top of it. it. It's so exciting. And then into Alley Dance with Manny, who has been a dear friend for many years now. And to get to have that kind of competitive fun with him has been nightly has been, you know, it's a great way to stay on your toes eight times a week, you know, especially with someone who's as great as Manny. And um, yeah, and just to kind of build upon that. And I love how I get moments to sit back, you know, like in the frug and Mm -hmm. and to watch everybody come out in those in those colors and costumes and the movement and the the incredible individuals that are on that stage in the moment and and to sit back and it's not acting. It's true. Every night I'm so mesmerized by each and, and every one of them. And yeah, it's been a really fun journey and I'm still learning and I'm still finding moments and it it still feels very much in process. It doesn't feel like a finished product. Uh, And I think that's what I enjoy so much about it is that it's so meaty in that way. It's rich. Yes, incredibly rich. rich. Well, one thing that we noticed, because we saw the show in San Diego, Mm -hmm. is at the end of Big City Mime, you know, it ends differently now, just sort of visually, uh, but also choreographically, right? There's that transition between... uh, Big City Mime and Dancing Man, yep. where you're on stage suddenly after all of that madness <laughs> by yourself. Yep. Uh, and that choreography is now new. It's it's the choreography from Dancing Man, mm-hmm. right? That you get to do uh, by yourself. Can you share, if you're comfortable, mm-hmm. um, how it has changed from San Diego and and what that moment feels like? Because you're you're by yourself on that stage. Yeah. For you know a, a good minute or two, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, I think in San Diego it was still very much an exploration of you know how do we wrap this up? How right. do we wrap this up and transition it to to Dancing Man and with Wayne and Corinne really talking about what is this and even. In San Diego, I don't think they felt it was quite right. They were like, I think the thinking was this was, it's on the right path, but we still haven't quite got to where it needs to be. And when Wayne and Corinne were explaining to me what it was going to be for Broadway, I thought, oh, this sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, let's give it a go. And and kind of taught me the snippets of, of Dancing Man. And it just feels, you know, we go through this incredible journey in Big City Mime where we're introduced to all these different pieces from Fosse and different worlds and different landscapes. And it really is a kind of collaboration of all of Fosse's experiences, so to speak. And we get to the end and with me on stage and I, I feel the weight of all that. I feel the weight of his lived experiences and how it has um, inspired his work. And it's just kind of a fun moment, you know, whether I am Fosse or I'm, I'm, I'm a kind of spirit of Fosse or whatever it is that, you know, the audience can decide that. But I, I definitely feel the energy in the room of, of all the work that has just gone on and all of the 
just craziness essentially, <laughs> you know, and, and taking that moment to kind of stare into the, into the void of the audience and collect myself and, and start to build, slowly build how maybe Fosse might have built Dancing Man. It's really like a cool down moment for the audience as well, right? Yeah. In that moment where you're, you're like guiding us to our, okay, we just saw this incredible marathon of a yes. number, right? And it was a lot and it's extraordinary. And now you're bringing us down to a place where we can um, cool down with you, but also be more receptive to what's about to come, which is one of the greatest love letters to dancing yeah. ever. Yeah, you know, they call that the dancer's prayer and mm. it feels a little bit like I've been kind of given the honor to lead us into this prayer. Absolutely. Um, and... Yeah, it's a real it's a real special moment. I'm I'm so grateful that I get to do it eight times a week. Well, and speaking of ballet in Act Two in America, you get another soloist moment. Yes, uh, the Star Spangled Banner, I believe, mm -hmm. right? Uh, where you have the stage to yourself and do some pretty impressive yes. feats. Uh, I think that is also new for Broadway, right? That was that was that in the show? In no, season? that was in oh, the show. Yes, oh, okay. it was right, uh, part of the original right. choreography. Yeah. yeah, Stars and Stripes. That's actually one of the harder moments in the show for me, just to where it comes. Yeah. And, uh, but it's well, a lot it, of fun. It happens in a flash. It does you happen appear, in a flash. You do these amazing things and then you're gone and it's like, wait, whoa, what just happened? Right? Yes. I mean, as an audience member, you're like, holy crap. That yes, was it's wild. kind of like this great, like, ha, here I am and here I go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, it, and it has such a like triumphant, you know, sort of feeling to it too. And in a number that has all sorts of shades and, yes. and ideas and thoughts and perspectives. Um, it's like a, a moment of pure joy. What's more American than baseball, yes, right? Because exactly. there's, there's baseball idioms that have been added yep. to it as well, right? And those baseball, it's helping me because if you listen, it's saying, keep going, keep, keep going. going. I'm like, yes, I need that. I need that. It's so inspirational. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's so cool. Well, I have to ask, do you have, we've just named a couple and I'm sure we could talk all day about all the moments mm -hmm. in the show, but do you have a favorite moment in the show? You know, I think we just talked about it. I think yeah. that moment after Big City, yeah. Big City Mime. Yeah, I feel, you know, we get to this kind of point. I What I love about Big City Mime for me is that I do get to connect with so many of the performers in, this, in the show. And so by the end, by the time I get to that point, it feels, I, I, I feel like there's a real responsibility in that moment to cherish the fact that I get to be on stage by myself. It's not something that I think dancers are given a lot in a Broadway setting. Yeah. And I love the movement of Dancing Man and, and kind of how we piece it together. It feels like, you know, it's not meant to be a set finished product. It's really supposed to show kind of the exploration of how choreography comes to be. And I really like that I kind of get to set that up for the company to then all join together um, to do it. And what I what I have taken from it is really trying to watch, you know, the people that do the certain steps, like the moment where there's kind of that bird moment with the arms where it looks like they're flying, flapping my wings, really taking in um, Corey and Jovan and Jacob and Manny and how they do that. And then as I'm walking downstage, seeing Ida and Maddie and Colton and how they interpret it and, and really trying to put that into my approach to the movement because it, it, it doesn't feel like it's just me on stage. I feel like I'm carrying not only Fosse's vision, but I, I feel like I'm, I, I have the cast there with me and, and a cast as supportive as, as this makes it so easy to do to kind of feel that for them and with them. Mm. 
Well, then I have to ask, uh, you said there are thousands of them in the show, but do you have a favorite step? Uh, you know, there's, oh God, that's a really hard question. I, I will go back and say that that top of Pippin, when, when those hips get going, yeah. you know, and just kind of the really cool moves that happen throughout that number. Um, I, I really, yeah. I, I really enjoy that. You know what moment I just adore and I, every night I just can't wait for it when I see it, um, is the snake in the grass section uh -huh. when you all strike that same pose yes. at the exact time and musically it's unexpected because you don't know when that, when that hit's going to happen as an audience member. Yeah. Like, obviously you guys know it because uh, it's so <laughs> in sync, right? But I love that. And that's, that's, I mean, Fosse himself did. Yeah. That, and that feels, right? that moment is, that's great that it, it feels, that is a powerful moment. It feels so Fosse. Yeah. You know, there are certain moments in the show where you're like, this feels so <laughs> representative of Bob Fosse and his style and his work. Um, and that, that pose is absolutely one of them into the two hip bumps. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and snake in the grass too. the fact that he performed that, um, getting to watch that and kind of revisit it from time to time, just to see his interpretation of it and how, you know, he saw it coming to life and trying to infuse that as much as, as possible into the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's very clear that throughout your career and, of course, through this experience that you've gotten to know Bob Fosse yes. uh, and you've formed your own relationship with him, as <laughs> all of you have. Yeah. So what does, on this side of the experience, what does Bob Fosse mean to you? Oh, wow. Um, I, I'm so grateful to be a part of this moment. Um, you know, I, I have wanted to... I've kind of always been of the belief that a, a, a choreographer like Fosse, his work needs to be shared as much as possible. And and the little bits that I've gotten to um, interact with his work um, and his dancers that he hired himself, I, I always felt so fortunate. So to be here, to kind of be a part of now the Fosse family, so to speak, um, incredible, legendary dancers and, and performers, I feel like I've been really given a gift. And I feel as though, you know, Fosse loved dancers and he trusted them and he believed in them and he knew what their worth is. And I feel that getting to step into that every night is such an honor because, you know, it's dance is always kind of thought of as like the third on the tier, you know, the singing and acting and then there's dance. And this is such an opportunity to shine as dancers, but to show that we are not just dancers, that we are performers. And so for me, it's just a, it's a real incredible opportunity. It's a real gift to get to do every night. And I feel that responsibility. I, I, I feel that, which is why I think, you know, there are moments that you're like, oh, I want it to be perfect every night. I want to give a perfect show because I want to honor Fosse in that way. And I want audiences to come and see it at its best all the time. And I think what's so great about it is, is, you know, Fosse himself was an incredible performer. Um, and it's always, it, it's just, it's always so powerful. And, and I think that we as a, as a company are so kind of enmeshed together, you know, and, and really a team and a family. And I think that every night, no matter what happened, the audience is getting all of us at all times. And I think that that's just really awesome and really special.
Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I have a little, little party game I play after each time I see it with people. I ask them, okay, who was your favorite dancer? Who was your, <laughs> what was your favorite number? And everybody gives a different answer. And that's what's so yeah. cool about it is that, you know, you all are so present on that stage yes. that every member in the audience connects with different dancers and different levels because of your, your personalities are so present. Yeah. Right. We get to meet you literally in the beginning of the show and then throughout the show. And it's such a joy to, to follow you all and watch you all, you know, throughout it. And then of course now we're doing this podcast. So we've gotten to know you (laughs) personally, which is also very cool. Um, but thank you so much for, for sharing, you know, your reflections on this experience and for being so eloquent about it all. And, uh, for, you know, bringing this work, to life eight times a week because I, I I think we both agree it's the reason we wanted to be a part of the show and it's the reason why we wanted to do this podcast mm-hmm. is because it does need to be alive it does need to be shared yes and that's that's how we'll we'll make sure the legacy continues thank you thank you for having <laughs> me and thank you for all the work that you're doing to to shine a light on um, this incredible show that we're you know putting on eight times a week. A Bob Fosse's Dancing is now on Broadway at the Music Box Theater. For tickets and more information, visit dancinbway.com. Dancing Man, a Fabulous Invalid podcast, is a production of O&M Etc. and the Fabulous Invalid LLC, and a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. Special thanks to Civilian for hosting us, and to our audio engineer, Kyle Moore. If you liked this episode, we've got over 100 episodes of the Fabulous Invalid podcast that you can check out, including a two-parter on the life, work, and legacy of Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon. You can find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at fabulousinvalid and on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.